Hello and welcome to another episode of the Small Town Tourist Podcast where we experience and explore everything that makes small towns great. I'm your host, Abby Graves, and today we have a super special guest. This is one that I've been looking forward to ever since I started the podcast. I knew I wanted to have him on as a guest. This is a guy who has been a huge influence in the radio industry, especially here in central Minnesota. He is the guy that you hear going Summerland and on countless commercials, and he was just an icon back in the 70s through mid-90s, and he's still an icon to this day. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. We are hanging out with John Uran, and I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. Please enjoy our time today with John Uran. Then we all agree that this little town has got its ups and it's got its downs, but growing up somewhere else around wouldn't be this place. Yeah, that's my hometown. Basically, I'll just have you start like everyone else. Give me your name, where you're from, and what you do. Okay. I am John Uran. I am from, uh, well, that's sort of a tough spot because, I mean, this is the small town tourist, correct? It is. Okay. Well, you know where the little town of Santiago is? San Diego, if you're from there? (laughs) It's about 25 miles east of here. And just north of that is Benton County, but that is actually in Sherburne County. So I'm on the Benton and Sherburne County line, but Foley. You grew up in a border town. (laughs) I was probably, yeah, that probably say that that was a border town. It was weird because the Princeton school bus went by and so did Foley. And the address of the farm was Route 1 Princeton, but because the land, the, the main part, we had landed both counties. The main, I guess you could say, homestead was in Benton County. We went to Foley. That is so messed up, for it lack is. of it's, a better word. It's a, it was a little strange. It was it was fun growing up, though. I mean, um, mom and dad were great. The land you grew up on, did you grow up on a farm? Or? Yes, yeah. Okay, what kind? Family farm, small family farm. Um, we had uh, dairy and hogs. When I was real little, like five, we had chickens. But all of a sudden, we decided to get out of the chicken business and the eggs and got the hatchets out. And we had chicken for about a year. It was really good, delicious stuff. You That's know? some of the best chicken you'll ever eat. Darn right. And the color <laughs> is a little darker, too, than what you buy in the store. Did your family, that. when we butchered chickens, we would always write some of the ch- names of the chickens on the bag when we, before we put them in the freezer? We did not name the chickens. Yeah, it was pretty messed up. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. just how you grow up. Right. <laughs> That's exactly the truth. My dad got a late start in life as far as having a family. He was a veteran of World War II. He was in the United States Navy in the Aleutian Islands, way up in Alaska, because the Japanese were on those islands, believe it or not. Really? He was on a seaplane tender, and they would uh, take care of PBY Catalinas and Kingfishers, which would land in the Bering Sea, taxi up to the ship, get refueled and stuff like that, go in for a bombing run or whatever. But it was a small ship, the USS Teal. He was 39 when he got married. And he met my mother at the little store in San Diego. And he used to go down there and flirt with her and buy ice cream cones from her. Aww. But they got married on May 12th. I don't remember the year. And then they had like four kids, or four of us total, in five years. Oh, my gosh. Your poor mother. <laughs> now, do you, know what, do you know what Irish twins are? I do. Okay. My brother Aaron and I are 11 months apart. So I'm older, and my sister Mary was the oldest, and then they did take a year off, and then they had Paul. Okay. And uh, I keep in contact with uh, everybody in the family. But I went to Foley High School. I graduated in 1973. 
my basic interest probably my junior, senior year was theater. And I really enjoyed acting up, so to speak. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) It's a prerequisite for this industry. There was a friend that I met, and he was dating a girl from Foley, but he worked for the Princeton radio station. His name was Todd Rust. And I would visit with Todd, and he'd always say, you know, you've got a great voice. You go to radio. I said, nah, I don't think so, Todd. Well, I got a scholarship to be a theater major at Bethel College, which is down in St. Paul. And the very first year that I was there, the only year that I was there, I was in seven plays. That's how many they do. And that doesn't mean I acted in them. But being part of seven is a lot. Yeah, because when you're a freshman, you're on grounds crew, you're on set construction, lighting. The very first play was a cycle play. And I played the voice of God. No one saw me, but I had flash pots underneath these weird structures. This is a pitch back black theater. And I take the flash pots and put it out when the lights went out. And then I grab a microphone and I pretending I am voice of God. I created the heavens and the earth. And I flip the light switch and the flash powder goes off. I put too much in. I blinded the audience. They had to stop the show for about 20 minutes so people get their eyesight back. Oh, no. <laughs> but there was a... There was a guy who was a junior there that looks on the program. He went, John, you ran. Hmm, I got I to gotta look this guy up. He bugged me and he bugged me and he bugged me for a month. I finally went down and saw the college radio station and I saw the control board with all these meters and all these dials and microphones that were really cool. And I said, I can do this. I started working at the college radio station. And then I went to Brown Institute and didn't go back to college. And I graduated from Brown. I suppose it would have been spring of 75. Got my first job in Indianola, Iowa, 20 miles south of Des Moines. I lasted six weeks. That's it? That's all I could handle. Really? You, so you pulled the pin on that? I pulled the pin on that, and the station manager's name was Mel. Um, Mel threatened me that I would never work in radio again. And I said, Mel, this never happened. You're never going to be in my resume. (laughs) So, okay, thanks. When I just got out of Brown, they want you to take your cassette tape, your air check, and they want you to take your resume and visit these small-town radio stations. And they want you to, uh, if you get hired, to stay there for a year because you're always learning. And they, they really drill that into you. I went to a station in Litchfield, Minnesota. It was called KLFD. And I was cocky back then. And I met uh, the program director. His name was Jim Onstead. He, uh, he had a voice like uh, Steve Cannon <laughs> on WCC. I'm not lying. This guy was, whoa, what, what a voice. And he brings me into his office, and we're sitting there and talking, and he's joking, asking questions, and laughing at me. And, and he goes, so, young fella, can you do news? And I said, uh, you mean like read news? Yeah, I can do that. He says, you can? All right. He reaches back and grabs his phone. The guy on the air's name was Steve Neighbors. He goes, Mr. Neighbors, got a young fella in here. It's going to be doing news in uh, 60 seconds. Okay, bye. Come with me. I went, what? Just come with me. He takes me into a booth that did not have a kill switch on it, just a plain old Electro Voice microphone, Hands me a news copy. It was the Associated Press uh, news headlines at 1.30 in the afternoon. So there's four small stories. Mm-hmm. And um, he handed me an intro. 
He says, uh, just say, uh, put your name here. The temp right now is uh, 72. And uh, say who you are, KLFD News, and then read these four things. Just look in the window, and he'll uh, give you the cue. So I put these real cheap headphones on, and I'm waiting. And Mr. Neighbors gives me the cue, and I say, it's uh, 1.30. I'm John Uran, KLFD News. It's 72 degrees. I start into the first story. Jim sneaks up behind me with his Bic lighter, and he lights the copy on fire. I don't have a kill switch. I have nothing to put the fire out. I read all four stories as quickly as I could. Oh, my they gosh. I look over here. These two are behind the glass laughing their asses off at me. And he cuts to a commercial, and he comes in, he slaps me on the back. He says, I have never in my life seen anybody react the way you just did. I don't have an opportunity right now, but I am keeping your name, and I am keeping your resume because I like your style. He lit the paper he lit it on as fire. you were reading it. And I'm going from finger to finger <laughs> trying, to, trying to get it read. Anyway, it was like six months later, he calls me, young fella. I said, Mr. Onstead, uh, Jim. I said, okay, Jim, uh, I don't have a radio gig, so to speak, an on air, but we've got an opening for a salesperson. You want to come out, out and, uh, and meet the Mad Hatter? Daryl Hensley has his nickname, the Mad Hatter. So I came out, met the Hatter, and, and hired me on the spot. I started selling advertising in uh, the fall of 1975, and I was there for two years. Part of my territory selling was St. Cloud. Okay. So I came up here and sold a couple of car dealers and stuff, and um, I, I was semi-successful, but there was a new radio station that went on the air in 1975 in St. Cloud, and they were a contemporary hit radio station, and I listened to them a lot. And in October of 1977, I brought a reel-to-reel tape up there and applied for a job. And uh, the first person grabbed that tape and said, well, let's give it a listen. So he puts it on a reel-to-reel machine in a small studio. His name was uh, J.J. Justin. Jim Giebel was his name. And he listens to it, and he would go back in the office, and he says, can you take constructive criticism? And I said, sure, because I want to get better. And he says, good, you suck. Um, and then he told me why, and then another guy came in, and now J.J. was the operations manager. Jack Hansen walked in, and he was the program director, and he says, who's this? And he said, this is a, a young guy from Litchfield who uh, wanted to apply for a job. He goes, oh, you got a tape? He says, yeah, here you go. So Jack goes in the studio by himself while J.J. is telling me how to become better, and Jack comes back out, and he goes, not bad. Um, we do have a, a position open, um, and I'd like to hire you. And I'm looking at J.J. Okay, you suck. Jack says, not bad. You're out of my way, J.J. Okay, Jack, let's talk. And I was hired at KCLD. Just on the spot. There. And I started November 1st of 1977 doing overnights. And that lasted for two weeks. And the guy that trained me in, I took his job. And then they put him on overnights. And that was Mike Bolter. Mike's out of the... Uh, out of the uh, radio business, still keep in contact with him. I believe he's in St. Louis. Okay. And from there, this was because they had to split their signal. They, AM and FM, they were simulcasting. But the FCC said, you can't do that. Your population's too big. Played the same identical commercial, same identical music as the FM side was doing at that time. Well, then, you know how people switch in radio. 
Well, I got moved to 10 to 2 at night. Okay. So I started working 10 to 2 at night. Now, the natural progression would be 6 to 10. The 6 to 10 guy was Dick Bremer, who is the Minnesota Twins broadcast I was going to say. Yes. He was he, on KCLD? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, when I started there, he was there. He was very good. And he called himself Duke in the Dark. And we, we still keep in contact, too. Radio he, names are hilarious. <laughs> he came up he came up for the Minnesota Twins winter caravan a couple of times. And I'm standing in there in the VIP room and Dick walks in and he goes, John, we talked for a half hour. He goes, I suppose I better I said, Yeah, you should probably go up there. But it was good seeing him. And I ran into him in the uh, St. Cloud State Husky game one time and we talked for a while too. Just a wonderful man. Really knows what he's doing. Loves sports. That was his big thing. But uh, he worked and then I did not go to 6 to 10. They moved me to middays. So from 10 to 2 at night, I went to 10 to 2 in the afternoon. This is all within uh, three, four months. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of hopping around for that short time span. Yeah, it was. And then uh, somebody left. So they put me in afternoon drive. And then they put Gary Lee on mornings. Now, at the time I was living at Jock House, there were four announcers that rented a house on the southeast in South St. Cloud, not far from the campus. And Gary had a problem of getting up in the morning. He was late all the time. And um, I was now engaged to my wife. I should tell that story of how that happened, to tell you the truth. But I don't want to backtrack right now. And I'm in there, and Jack Hansen is just screaming at Gary, you're late one more time. I got to fire you. He says, my God, you know, that's been like six times in three weeks you've been late. I don't know what you're doing at night. Well, he was out partying. Anyway, I overheard it, and I walked in. I said, uh, hey, Gary, I'll, I'll do mornings. You could do afternoons if you want. Gary says, you'd do that for me? I went, well, yeah. I mean, we live together. I said, I, you, you're young. You want to get out. I'm engaged. I'm not going to be out partying. Jack looks, and he goes, starting tomorrow, you're doing mornings. You're doing afternoons. You're late again. You're fired. You know, and that's how I started doing mornings over there, and that went from... I suppose at the time it would have been late 78, early 79, until I left in 94, 16 years. That's a long time. I know when I first started here, I told my parents, oh yeah, John Uran took me out for lunch during my first interview, and my parents are like, like John Uran from KCLD took you out to lunch? Yeah. Like, I will always be that. Which is strange. You're I mean, a staple to people. But that was 16 years back when music was incredible, promotion was incredible, and I did more live remotes. And then I had a DJ business like, like you currently do. I was doing high schools. I was doing weddings. And I did weddings for 41 years. It's a lot of weddings. It is. But it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoyed doing them. Um, and it's great extra income, although my accountant hated it. But um, it, was, it was just good times back then. But, yeah, I will always be, you know, I've been here longer than I was there, almost twice as long. And I still, oh, yeah, I listen to you at KCLD. You're old. But it was just the height of music. Like it that was. stretch from the late 70s to right. the mid-90s, just hit after hit after hit. That's why the River 96.7 does so well in St. Cloud, because it's all that music that, that everyone grew up on. That's the station I listen to, hon. <laughs> It's such it. a good station. You know, I joke because I say I made all of those songs hits. I like hit, you know, I love listening to them. And that's you know, back when you guys did, you, I assume, had a little more control over the music too? We No, no, which was tough, you know. I mean, you get requests all the time. 
But yeah, well, you know, you played that an hour and a half ago. Uh, you record them saying it, and then when mm-hmm. it does come up in that three and a half hour rotation, you play that back so it sounds like it. But I had a lot of fun with uh, people calling in, recording them. Sometimes I put people on live, which uh, should not have happened sometimes. I used to do a wake-up call, morning wake-up call. People would send postcards in, and it was a birthday wake-up call. I, I always say on the air, give me some stuff to work on, phone number, name, you know, how old they're going to be, what's the occasion, whatever. There was uh, a teacher from Paula High School that was retiring. It was his final day of school of teaching. And the students and the faculty had this all arranged. I was to call him at 6 o'clock in the morning and wake him up, tell him that a limo will be there to pick him up at 7, and that he is going to school in style for his last day. So this was live. It's ringing and ringing and ringing, and I'm going, ah, this guy's really a heavy sleeper or something. All at once, a woman answers the phone. She goes, hello? I said, yeah, I forgot the teacher's name. Is Bill there? Bill? Yeah. Bill? Yeah, yeah, he's here. Bill, it's for you. And as she's handing him the phone, you can tell that they're laying in bed. He says, holy shit, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Hello? Well, this was really subdued. Because it, it was not right in his face. Yeah. The kids were v- recording this all day. They would crank up the volume when he said, holy. Oh, no. <laughs> he called the radio station three times to apologize for swearing on the air. And he called me a couple of times, too, after that. He said, thank you for just making, you know, that was such a wonderful day. But they even took him out to dinner that night. So this guy really must have been loved. That's really special. But, you know, and I would call people in Montana who would, people would go hunting from here, out mule deer hunting out in Montana, and they wanted me to call this guy up and tell stories of what he did. I guess that he would strip buck naked. He didn't care if it was men or women and just jump in the river and give himself a bath at night. And uh, he would say, you can't say that on the radio. I didn't say anything bad. Mm-mm. I just said that you, it's truth, you know. Yeah, just telling but, a story. Yeah, but it was fun stuff like that. And uh, I love doing remotes. Uh, the Great River Raft Race was the party of the summer. and I was What was in, that? I was in charge of that. That was, um, I think Jack Hansen started this. He had, did it for two years and then just gave it to me. It was at Pirate's Cove, um, which is uh, burnt down. But And then Stearns County Park which was like two and a half, three miles up the river on the west side of the river was Stearns County Park. So we'd have a speed category and a creative category. Speed would always go first, and we'd go off in heats. And they would get in their homemade rafts, and they would zip all the way down to the finish line at Pirate's Cove. Now, that didn't take them long, but the creative was really some elaborate, weird things. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, and there was live music, well, when Wheels, Wings, and Water Festival started, we were already five years into this. They asked us to move this event to be part of the Wheels, Wings, now it's Granite City Days. So we moved it into late June, and it lasted two more years. And then I think they made it a non-alcoholic. And then we did said, no, okay, that's enough of that. Took uh, all the booze out of it, took yeah. out all the fun. Yeah, and <laughs> I was glad. Because that was basically three months of more than 40 hours a week. Prep work and getting ready for a massive event like that. I don't think people realize when they go to things that, especially things of that scale, there's months of work that go into it. Preparations for Mm -hmm. things like festivals and events, like you start the day after it ends. 
Yeah. There was a guy named Alex Kroska, who's still a good friend. Alex owned Kroska Datsun at the time, and then he sold that off, which became Nissan, of course. In the car business, he's retired now. Alex had a jet boat, and he was one of the patrol boats. And after all the heats went off, I could take a break. So I'm up at Stearns County Park. Now I want to go back to the Pirate's Cove. So I hopped in with Alex because he was one of the guys there. And uh, he, uh, he says, well, where are you going? I said, I just have to go down to Pirate's Cove. So we zipped down to Pirate's Cove at a nice pace. We made sure not wakes around the rafts and stuff. But we get to the cove. He goes, well, do you want to go for a ride? I said, I looked at my watch. Yeah, I got a little time. Let's go. South of the river, no holds barred. He just puts this thing to the floor. I don't know how fast we were going, but that was a V8 engine in that thing. We were screaming down the Mississippi River, and all at once he goes, hey, you want to see my brakes? I said, sure. He slams it in reverse. That reverses the jets. The river is now three feet above me because the boat is underneath it, and the water all came caving in on the boat, and all the bilge pumps go off. And in about five minutes, we're fine. We were absolutely drenched. Oh, my gosh. That's brown water. But I will never let him forget that. I have never been soaked to the bone like that. I suppose everything you had on you for the event. Oh, yeah. I was completely drenched. Uh, He thought it was funny. (laughs) And then one of the Stearns County Water Patrol came up, gave him a ticket, and said, uh, you won't be doing this next year or from here on out. So he that was the last time he did that. What an only time. He did it. He was fine with it. But he loves it when I tell that story. But it, that's a true story. Daredevils. <laughs> so I have to tell you about Deb, my wife. Yes, Who's please. put up with me for 43 years. When I was selling in Litchfield, the Mad Hatter came into a sales meeting one morning, and he says, uh, John? I go, yeah, Hatter. He says, there are 22 beauty salons in Litchfield. All I need you to do is sell five, one commercial a week. $20 a week, just sell five of them for a show that they were doing with block programming. So I went out. I got nose all the time. I went to this place on Highway 12 in Litchfield called Beauty Haven. And I walked in, and there was a young brunette woman in there. Hi, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And I told her who I was and asked if she wanted to buy some advertising. And she goes, uh, yeah, sure. So she signed the contract. I just said, you cut guys here? Sure do. Sit down. So I got my hair cut, and that was about it at the time. But about two weeks later, she was out to eat with her mom and her boyfriend, and I just walked up and started talking with her. And I said, why don't you hang out with me? I'll take you home. And from there, we started dating, and my mom and dad were married on May 12th. My wife and I were also married on May 12th in 1979, 43 years ago. She still puts up with me. Believe me. <laughs> Is she still cutting your hair, though? That's no. the big question. <laughs> no, she stopped that about 20 years ago. But she uh, she cut hair for a long time, but she sold the beauty shop and then started working up here in St. Cloud. And then we started having kids, and we started taking care of them. And that was, uh, we never had daycare, really, just a couple hours a day. Because she would work for an insurance agent from like 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And I was pretty much wrapped up at 1. I'd go pick the kids up or whatever and go home with them. You know, have fun, beat on them. It's a good system if you can avoid those daycare costs, Mm -hmm. especially in radio. Because, I mean, like when you're on the on-air side, you're not making a killing. The sales side's where you make all the real deal money. Sure. So, like, if you can save on daycare costs, that's huge. And that's the absolute truth. That's how I got hired over here because 
I had left KCLD. I was too old for the format, so I was asked to, to leave. And then you're a true veteran once you're canned in radio. And I worked for the Power Loon, which was an Inkstead station at Crossroads Mall for a year. And then another company had bought them out. But at the time, I didn't know that sale was going on. Steve Stewart was over here with Andy Hilger. And I came in for an interview. 94.9, Mix 94.9 was an oldies station playing 50s and 60s. And um, he wanted me to do mornings on the oldies station. And uh, asked, well, what do you have to have? So I gave him a number. And he says, okay, can you come back next Friday? And I said, sure. Well, over at the Power Loon, I was really bored. So I took a rate card one day and asked if I could sell. You can't sell any of these on the protected list. So I looked at the protected list, which was pretty much everybody that advertised. But I found four businesses that weren't, and I sold them all within two weeks. And it was a relationship. So it, I knew the people. So the next time I come in for that Friday, I'm wearing a suit. And Steve Stewart says, why are you all dressed up? I said, I said, oh, I'm selling. You're selling? I said, yeah. How's it going? I said, actually, pretty good. <laughs> he says, I was going to tell you today that I can't afford you. Can you come back next Friday? I said, sure. So I came back next Friday. And he goes, okay, this is a hybrid model. So you're going to do the morning show on Mix. And then this is a set group of accounts that is going to guarantee you X amount of dollars per year. So your salary for being on the air is going to be this, plus your commission will be this. I am going to over what you ask to have. And I said, I'll take it. Sounds like fun. I got to do mornings on oldies with a guy I grew up listening to, Mike Dime. And you get to know your morning partner so well. I had so many morning partners. And we gelled for the most part. But this guy, we knew each other so well that we could actually finish each other's sentences. When I was doing remotes at Gilliland or Baston Chevrolet at the time, Mike Dime from WJON was also doing a remote. We would interview each other just for, just for fun. From each of your remotes? Sure. Oh, my gosh. I'd be on his <laughs> station, and then I'd ask him questions, and uh, he would uh, be on, on KCLD with me. We used to do crap like that quite often, but Mike and I got along very well. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Andy retired and sold the company, and Mike retired. And Mike now lives in Pauley's Island, which is next to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We still talk occasionally. We still text each other occasionally. But, and I really need to get out there and go golfing with him because yeah, we used no to kidding. do that every day because I would work till 2 and the kids are in school, or Deb was working or whatever, and then we'd go do nine holes at Angershire, or nine holes at Veterans, or nine holes, whatever. But we played golf a lot. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. It's nice when you can find a morning show partner that you really get along with, because mm -hmm. you are stuck in a room that's like 10 by 10 for right. five, six hours a day together. But it really helps to like that person. <laughs> Deb, my wife, could never understand why I was totally exhausted when I got off the air. Your brain is going so fast, especially when you have a morning partner because you're constantly conversing back and forth off air what you're going to say next. And then your mics goes on and the magic happens. And this goes on for four hours. And when you are done, you are physically wiped out. Mm -hmm. Then you got to recharge for a couple of hours and then you're good to go again. I just can't believe you sit on your butt and you turn a mic on and you talk and you say you're so damn tired. I went, yes. The mental drain is insane. People don't 
understand right. that. They think it's just turn on the microphone and you right. chat and then you turn it off and then you just do whatever you're doing. And then, you know, you let the magic happen and weird things will pop into my mind and or my mouth and I'll say crap on the air that, I mean, is okay, but it's my personality. It's just strange stuff. Mm-hmm. It's weird, you know. It just is what it is. Anybody ever ask you how you get into radio? Ask me how I got yeah. into it? Basically what happened with me is I was in high school and my... <laughs> My high school and our county had a drinking problem with teenagers. So my mom worked for public health, and we were granted a million dollars from the state of Minnesota to help curb that problem and try to fix it and give kids things to do. So we did a lot of pilot testing. There were so many surveys that I had to hand out because... With my mom working at public health and me working part-time for University of Minnesota Extension, I was just familiar with working in that setting. So I got put in charge of this group. Well, we sat down and we're like, well, what can we do to just initially get the word out about this project? And I said, well, everyone listens to KCLD. Why don't we go buy some radio ads and put them on KCLD? So since it was my idea, I was the one that had to come down to St. Cloud from Long Prairie and voice those ads And so I did that, and we were heading home from there, and I was probably 15, 16 years old, and I said, well, obviously someone's getting paid to make those. Why can't it be me? (laughs) And from there, I just started Googling where to go to school for radio, and Brown College popped up Mm -hmm. and went to Brown, flew through that in nine months, was one of the last to graduate before they got shut down from bankruptcy. I know. (laughs) Yeah, that was a... Rough little go. You know, at the time that I graduated, you could not find a radio station in the United States or Canada that did not have at least one graduate from Brown. I know, and it's it has this huge legacy, and that's what I was Mm -hmm. expecting when I went there. There were eight kids in my class. Oh wow! There were eight of us, and I was one of like three that actually pursued radio after college. Wow. Yeah. I don't remember how many were in my class. I only know about three of us that were in it in like five, ten years afterwards. Yeah, it was pitiful by the time I went, Mm -hmm. which I was expecting like, yes, this is going to be a college experience. And then I got there and everyone is like having their midlife crisis in my class. I'm the youngest person there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, this is not what I thought college was going to (laughs) be. But it worked out well because even though I, I learned some stuff at college, I credit more of my learning to on-the-job experience. Yep. I got my internship through college at 93X Cumulus down in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I did a year there in promotions and overnights, and then I got hired up in St. Cloud. So, wow, that's cool. Yeah, not exactly what I was expecting for my college life, but I kind of feel like I sent in three box tops and got a degree. But <laughs> <laughs> Good way to put it. It's Yeah, it plus some student loans to go with it, but... I was, you know, way back then, um, it was albums and 45s that we were queuing up. I was working a Saturday afternoon. This would have been probably 79, maybe 78. I don't remember. And, of course, the, the station door was always unlocked. Normally, there were like two of us in the building. I just went walking back during a record, and I saw a guy, uh, you know, come in. And I said, hi, can I help you? And he says, uh, he says you the guy in the air? Uh, I said, yeah. And he says, oh, I says, well, I started toying radio a little bit. I just wonder if you got a playlist, uh, top 40 list? Sure, come on. You want to come in the studio? You're, you'd let me in the studio? You're not going to say anything, are you? He goes, no. I said, yeah, come on out. So I bring him into the studio and sit down. I hand him the playlist. And I said, so you're toying radio? 
He says, yeah. He says, a little bit. I said, where? He goes, down in the Twin Cities. Now, I have a Chicago album, and I'm ready to cue this up. And he's asking all these questions, and I said, who are you? He said, I'm Lou Baron. I'm the general manager of KDWB. And I dropped the album and rolled over it with a chair. <laughs> and I said, it's good to meet you. He says, I want to hire you. I said, what? He goes, I would like to hire you. He says, I really like the way you sound on the air. He gave me his card. He says, I'm on my way to Brainerd for my two-week family vacation. Will you give me a call in two weeks? And I said, sure. Now, I was not married at the time. And I did. And he said, come down for an interview and meet Dave Hamilton. So I drove down there for an interview. And uh, I'm waiting in the you know, receptionist area. And not knowing protocol would ever... I'm waiting there for about 15 minutes, just sitting there. I said, is Lou in? And uh, Lou? I said, yeah, Lou Baron? Um, Yeah, nobody asked for the manager. She says, uh, Lou, there's a guy that uh, just asked for you. What's his name? Uh, John, you ran? Oh, yeah, tell him to come on back. So I go back, and I'm sitting in Lou's office making small talk, talking, and all at once Dave Hamilton walks in, and Lou says, uh, you're late. What? I Oh, whoops. <laughs> I just got guy in trouble oh my gosh so he takes me to the office he says i don't even know who in the heck you are um all i know is uh my boss wants me to hire you so this is what we're willing to offer you uh, you're going to start on overnights um and then maybe we'll get to know each other a little bit if you wanted a job i said can i think about it and he said yeah i guess I said okay and no i was just married at the time it was seven summer of 79 if I would have taken the job, I would have tripled my salary at the time. But my wife was still working at that beauty shop. So she was driving 40 miles one way and 40 miles back. And for us to uproot everything, move to the Twin Cities, I just think would have been not right, not the right decision at that time. So I turned it down. But I did see Lou over the years. Over the years, I did keep in contact with him until he passed away from cancer about uh, five, six years ago. But it's sort Just of a cool story. Imagine how your life would have been different had you you and Deb decided, yeah, let's yeah. let's give this a go. Yeah, but I don't have any regrets. Uh, it's been an incredible career, absolutely phenomenal career. We raised three great kids. We have four awesome grandkids. We both love, well, all of us love hockey. You know that. Oh, yeah. You guys are hockey crazy. <laughs> my son played. My grandson's played. Um, one of the announcers for Norsemen, and I have season tickets to the Huskies, so there's not very many week that weekends that I'm not on the ice, so to speak. But, yeah, it's been a great career. I don't know what I'll do in the future. More hockey games? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> More golfing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope to golf a lot. I'm going to get you out on the golf course. Mm-hmm. we got to get out. And... Uh, I thought maybe someday we'd have a show together, but that's not going to gel. No, not with me leaving. Uh, or me. Yeah, both of us yeah, si- saying sayonara. <laughs> you had a little more time in it than me. I jump ship early, but yeah, you get those opportunities and you just can't pass them up if they're too good, you know? You have to do the thing that's right for you at the time and, and for your future and for your family. Yeah, and, and you're doing the right thing. I sure hope so. Yeah. I got a feeling your social media is going to explode. One can only hope I've been trying this (laughs) dang internet. (laughs) 
And your podcasts, I think, are going to be awesome. I know I probably broke format with the small town tourists, but uh, you're the most on format <laughs> guest I've had. <laughs> I've listened to your first two, mm-hmm. and they're both very good, very well done. I've been having a lot of luck finding really solid guests, and I think that's the key to building any sort of whether it's a radio show or a podcast or writing a story is finding the right resource. And I've just been striking gold left and right with the people That's I've cool. been asking to be on, you yourself included. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Stay true to yourself. Stay honest. And have fun. Thanks for listening to the Small Town Tourist Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Minky Graves. Our theme song is That's My Hometown by Aaron Simmons. You can find him online, aaronsimmonsmusic.com, and wherever you stream music. Be sure to check out the blog, thesmalltowntourist.com, and follow on Instagram, at thesmalltowntourist.